0: In this third portion of our mini-series from Ohio State University's annual Women in Surgery Symposium, Dr. Andrew Bernard, Chief of Trauma and Acute Surgery at University of Kentucky, speaks about equity, diversity, and inclusion in surgery. Listen in to hear him give a fantastic summary of current literature, and then pose example cases about equity and diversity to a panel of trainees and faculty.
1: I'm really privileged to be here. And the assignment I've given is to answer the question, do we still need this? But uh, I'll give you a little bit more data, and then I'll try to give you a a little bit of hope at the end, as uh, as the speakers have so far. The pipeline is rich with young trainees, excellent young trainees. And we're now on the verge of graduating more women from medical school than men. But we have a bit of a problem with progression. So fewer women are entering residency far fewer entering academic practice as assistant professors, and far fewer progressing to the level of full professor. One-third of women feel like sexism is a barrier to progression. One in 30 men feel the same. A third of women spend 20 to 40 hours a week looking after their household, whereas only one in 14 or so men spend that amount of time looking after the household. So, no matter how much myself or Dr. Pollock or Dr. Pay think we're really valuable at home, we're not as valuable at home as our women surgeons. Uh, women tend to rely less on their spouse to help manage household responsibilities. Then on top of all that, there's still a 15 to 20 percent salary discrepancy. After adjusting for hours worked, time in the operating room, type of practice, or a year since completing residency. There is gender bias in residency training. This is Sherry Meyerson. She's the chief of thoracic surgery at the University of Kentucky. And these are her data looking at autonomy, autonomy given to female surgical residents using the Zwish scale, which is a simple scale for measuring autonomy from the perspective of the resident and from the faculty member. And this was published a couple of years ago in the Journal of Surgical Education. She looked at reported autonomy by the resident and then adjusted for the specialty of the attending, the case type, case difficulty, level of training, gender, adjusted for all that and after multivariable regression clearly uh, recognized that there's a significant bias against female residents in terms of their reported autonomy and the experience they're having. So those sorts of things, those perceptions, those cultural differences create a difference in experience with respect to confidence. So this is a survey of general surgery residents, men and women, about their confidence about how they were about to perform on a laparoscopic skills trainer. Not only did the women perform far better than they thought they were going to, the men performed less well, and of course, they performed the same. So the, the female surgeons are having a different sort of experience as a result of all these cues that come at them that creates a difference in confidence. This is a very interesting paper, uh, Afraid of Being Witchy with a B, a uh, study of how gender influences residents' experience uh, leading uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. So they asked a bunch of practicing physicians, including residents, describe for us the ideal code team leader. And they said, well, they have a, a deep, loud voice. They're clear and they're direct. So this is females and males asked, describe the ultimate code team leader. I mean, this sounds like a typical male stereotype, right? So what females in code team leadership situations will do is assume this gender stereotype so that they can execute the the code team activities and then afterward feel like they have to apologize for it because they have behaved outside their gender schema and they don't want to be judged. The best discussion still, I think, of of, uh, these, uh, these many factors and many concepts comes from Caprice Greenberg's presidential address uh, at the AAS. It's published in the Journal of Surgical Research, and it's online, and I highly recommend it to you. Uh, Caprice described that uh, women are more likely to burn out, that home life is a deterrent to female surgeons, and that gender schemas clearly um, uh, create a perception that, uh, that men are overrated and that women are underrated. So unfortunately, bias is inevitable. I encourage you to acknowledge that and to decide then how we're going to work past it and how we're going to manage it. So this is an expert, uh, Verna Meyer. uh, She's a cultural strategist. She is an expert in bias, and I'm going to show you a short video from her TED Talk.
2: Not too long ago, I was on a plane, and I heard the voice of a woman poly coming over the PA system, and I was just, like, so excited. I was so thrilled. I was like, yes, women, we are rocking it. We are now in the stratosphere, you know? It was all good, and then it started getting turbulent and bumpy, and I was like, I hope she can drive. <laughs> I know, right, but it's not even like I knew that was a bias until I was coming back on the other leg, and there's always a guy driving, and it's often turbulent and bumpy, and I've never questioned the competence of the male driver. the pilot. It's good. Now, here's the the problem. It's like, if you asked me explicitly, I would say, female pilot, awesome. But it appears that when things get funky and a little troublesome, a little risky, (laughs) I lean on a bias that I didn't even know that I had. You know, fast-moving planes in the sky, I want a guy. That's my default. Men are my defaults. Who is your default? Who do you trust? Who are you afraid of? Who do you implicitly feel connected to? Who do you run away from?
1: So here's a, an article from the New England Journal of Medicine about how men's fear of mentoring in the Me Too era uh, could potentially lead to an unwillingness of faculty to mentor young faculty or residents or students. Fear is a social construct, and and I think for us to talk about fear as a reason not to mentor is unacceptable. Two-thirds of executives now say that they're concerned about mentoring young female executives because they're worried about harassment. Many senior executives uh, refuse to mentor women. That's a problem. We can't have that. That's going to create significant barriers to the sort of uh, development of culture that we want. So we, we tried, to, tried to represent this, the, uh, the world of surgery pretty broadly here. You have faculty, you have senior residents, you have junior residents. Do you think sometimes that female members of the faculty or, or residency get tapped for certain tasks? For example, filling out the student evaluations, planning social events, uh, counseling underperformers or individuals who are struggling.
0: There are certain tasks that are asked of female residents, nurses, colleagues, that would not typically be asked of a male.
1: So in follow-up, how do you address that?
0: You learn to pick your battles. if it's something that is truly beneficial for patient care and it doesn't matter who does it and it's just about getting it done, I will do whatever task I was asked and then I will circle back after things are done and say, you know, it was me and five other guys. Any one of us could have done this task. It didn't necessarily need to be me.
1: Next question is, is, about, um, is about nurses. So we've heard a few times today, um, Uh, female members, uh, uh, female surgeons, female medical students, female faculty get confused as nurses. But For the women in particular, sometimes I hear from residents, faculty, that they have to sometimes go through some gymnastics to uh, maintain what they consider to be optimal interactions with uh, predominantly female uh, nurses. Uh, Comments from the panel on that.
0: So I actually was a neonatal ICU nurse before I went to medical school. I think that it is very much true and obvious that there is a difference in how you're treated, specifically when you're in the operating room. When the attending asks for an instrument, they get the instrument, no questions asked. When the male resident asks for the instrument, they get the instrument. When I ask for the instrument, they tend to look to the attending to see if it's okay before they hand me the instrument. One of the other examples I had was we were rounding as a team in the ICU, and it was me and a group of male residents as well as attending, and we went into a patient's room, and the nurse introduced the team to the family and said, this is Dr. So-and-so, this is Dr. So-and-so, this is Dr. So-and-so and Rita. I didn't say anything at the time. We went on rounds, and then I circled back around and I pulled the nurse aside, and I said, Just a reminder, I too went to medical school and I'm Dr. Shelby to the patient if everybody else is Dr. So-and-so.
1: We can go by first names, but if we're gonna go by first names, we should go by first names. Correct. We could be doctor, we should all be doctor. That's a great point.
3: A lot of times the way that I will ask a nurse to do something is I will kind of do so in a way that I make it seem like it was their idea all along. Um, And I think that that, uh, unfortunately, is the way that you have to get around um, people thinking of you as bossy. I think that it's,
4: it's prominent, um, but again, the word gymnastics is probably exactly right. On the other hand, um, I think sometimes we're the first that they'll approach when they're having an issue. Um, I walked in the operating room the other day, and um, I had three different staff circulators come up to me about an incident that they were worried about, that they felt safe sharing, and made an opportunity, and I think that sometimes it gives an opportunity because I've done the mental gymnastics that they feel safe.
5: Yeah, I think really often um, a guy like me, who's never been mistaken for a nurse, um, is blissfully unaware of all this stuff going on. You, know, you didn't know this until sort of you pointed out, and then you become aware of it, and then you notice it everywhere. And for so long, you know, just being sort of non. Confrontational. You just sort of okay. Let this go. Let that. They don't seem upset about it. Let this go. But if that happens again, I you know I think I, I've got to be the guy to to say that's not okay. Give her an instrument.
4: Can I give one other quick example? Yes, ma'am. So I was given a talk um, in a different city this earlier this week, and I sent an email to get directions, and the answer came back. We're looking forward to his talk. Please let him know to show up at this time. And I was like, should I email back and say, do they realize they're getting a female surgeon? <laughs> Thankfully, the administrator on our side quickly spoke up and I appreciate that but that is it was the natural response right sure
1: yeah okay I'm going to give you all a case so you're making rounds you a resident two female medical students it's a male patient you tell the patient we'll be back later to talk about the results of your test blah 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 and the patient says you know okay doc if you want you can leave the pretty ladies how do you address that
5: this happened actually this past year. I had a female resident and a male patient. She left the room to do something and he started making comments. At first I was pretty uncomfortable, but after like the third comment, I was like, hey dude, <laughs> you know that's not okay, she's a doctor. I try to diffuse things with humor sometimes. If there's already conflict, I'm very good at stepping in with conflict. Like if, it, if, there, if there's tension in the room, I can get right into that, but I don't like to be the one to initiate the tension and conflict. But I think I've got to probably be the one to um to, to to maybe get uncomfortable and not be afraid to to be the one to initiate the discomfort. You
0: know, I'm on a service and it was me and another um female resident and we go to patients' rooms and you know, they're like, "Oh, you guys sure are pretty nurses." And I say, Thank you very much but we're actually beautiful doctors (laughs) and if it goes beyond that i think that you do have to address it because nobody should be uncomfortable
1: okay one more quick case here okay you're in the ed and uh, you're seeing a male patient with appendicitis the on duty resident so whatever resident on your team would have been the one to do the case is is present uh, you tell the patient he needs surgery and he said he doesn't want a lady doctor doing his operation There are vignettes like this that that would would occur uh, re- regarding skin color uh, uh, A Provider wearing hi- a hijab might be uh, judged in this same way. So so these biases Cross far outside of, of gender other panelists comments about how you'd manage the situation I've had this happen this person operate on you
4: i've had the comment when's the real doctor coming in i've had um recently a, an older gentleman who when i introduced myself as the orthopedic surgeon doing his hip surgery that day he said but you're a woman and i had a male resident with me who was so just visibly uncomfortable with that comment um, but we went on and at the end of the conversation the guy goes but you're a strong woman i like you um <laughs> So, it, it, like, he was my biggest advocate. The rest of it, so just kind of reframing it worked really well. But it was a good conversation with the resident later, um, asking what happened, and and that person said, "Well, my, my wife is a physician, and she's always talked about this, and I didn't, I I've never witnessed it before." And so, helping having those conversations and and, and talking about it actively, I think helps bring awareness to it.
0: I remember when I was a second year resident. I had a patient that I was seeing in the ED, and I went in and I introduced myself and I explained that he needed an operation, and his response was, "No offense, but I do not want an African American. That was not the term that he used, um, and much less a woman surgeon." And he said, "I'll just if you're okay, I'll just stay here and wait for somebody else." And I said, "You know, I'm." very sorry that you feel that way. I'm happy to have somebody else come talk to you and see you, but I should warn you that the attending surgeon on this evening is (laughs) Um, (laughs) African-American. But he is a male, um, so there's that. And and I said, nobody's going to force you to have surgery by anybody that you don't want to operate on you, but we're here to take care of you no matter what your views, opinions are, um, you know, once you lay on that table, everybody's covered in a drape, you're asleep, you don't know who, what color we are, we don't know what color you are. By the end of the conversation, he was fine with us operating on
5: him. <laughs> I've taken care of lots of patients that are covered in um, swastika tattoos, and um, they don't know, but I, I enjoy the moment they find out that they had a Jewish guy operating on them um, a little bit later. <laughs> Um, I can hide. It's obviously I'm not as obvious as you are, but I still take care of them the same, and um, it doesn't usually come up. Sometimes they find out. Sometimes they don't. Questions from the audience.
3: How
0: do you effectively address concerns that you notice? I know for like medical students, we have like a red box we can click online, like and anonymously do it. Do you think that's the most effective way to address concerns, or is there more effective ways that you can do it in the workplace?
4: You can write it down, um, and you you're going into medicine because you're observant, you're a detective, right? Pay attention to the peers and people around you that are really good in that space. There are some mentors out there, we have a whole panel of mentoring who you see who actually can interact really well in that space, and if you feel comfortable and willing to be a little bit vulnerable, you'd be surprised with the relationships that can be built very quickly by being willing to ask for help about that specific situation, and, and you can find those people.
3: I think it's also really important to um, like build allies with your co-residents. Um, so all of us are in our class are very close. Um, and some of our male residents, we will complain to them about you know, the way we get treated by nurses and, and other staff. Um, and I think initially, um, some of them didn't truly believe us. But one resident in particular, I was telling him about a situation where a nurse started arguing with me about, um, A patient who needed to be intubated and she just did not like the fact that it was coming from me despite the fact that it was a decision made by a male attending Um, and he said that would have never happened if I had been the one to have said it.
1: You guys familiar with the term gaslighting, right? So uh, bringing a concern forward and then being told, well, like many of the people you would appeal to on these things would be men, white men in leadership, so that's something we all have to be aware of and and carefully listen to things that come forward and that people tell us about. So I'm Kevin Pei,
5: a resident at my former institution just kept on getting bullied and bullied and bullied and I just finally spoke up. Um, And I um, berated the faculty for bullying this person and then the resident later on came back to me and said, you know, Dr. Pei, I really appreciate that you stood up for me, but just so you know, you made my life um, so much worse than it was before. I've always assumed that residents want us or medical students want us to speak up but I don't know. I don't want to assume that that's the case. So I would love to hear your opinion about it.
4: I think it's really important to provide biofeedback in the sense in the moment that you can. Um, but how you say it is critically important. So sometimes it's just changing the narrative. If there's two sides to a story and recognizing that it's going down one pathway and it's very severe. It's opening up the possibility to show that there is other lenses that might be in play here. That, 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 one, re, that one frame situation with a little reframing doesn't sound so caustic or um, doing it, but it is critical how it's done because you can see the other part of it and the other element. And so it's a careful sticky situation, but I do think it's really important to stop it as early as you
5: can with reframing, if possible. I'm married to a pretty strong woman. And uh, I can remember coming home, and she was upset about something, and I was like, I'm going to. And she's like, no, you're not. I can handle it myself. I don't need you. And um, so uh, she put me in my place, and I was scared of her a little. And um, rightfully so. I still am. But she's like, yes, I'm just telling you. I don't, I don't need anything from you. I, I think if you're making it worse by stepping up, standing up for somebody, then there's a real, there's even a bigger problem there. She, my wife's an OR nurse. And um, she was looking to work at, at OSU. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm a young attending, and I have my, the, the guys in surgery that I look up to. Right? And, um, and a lot of them weren't the models of great behavior. So you sort of think that, oh, this is how you're supposed to act when you're a good surgeon. And you're supposed to yell and throw and throw tantrums and stuff. But my wife was looking to work at, work at OSU and the OR. And I'm like, oh, you're not going to do that. And, she said, and she's like, why? And I'm like, because if you work with these individuals, they're gonna yell at you and I'm gonna get upset and it's gonna be really hard for me to see you get treated that way. And, um, and that was a big epiphany for me, because I was like, God, everyone I'm working with is somebody's wife or husband or, you know, or daughter or somebody. Um, I can't act like that anymore. And um, that's not the way to behave. And that's and kind of the way I sort of seeing people, which really is, I mean, was really life-changing in a way for how I behave in the OR if you're in an argument and somebody's just like, oh, I hate you, I hate you, and then you're just like, oh, you're awesome. Like
3: that's kind of, you know, it's a really difficult thing to like go back and say, wait, but I just, but no, you're still like terrible. So it's, I think that it's, it's, it's really good to just point out the positives and to really like harp on the positives and harp on the great situations because I think that that's just something, um, the positive always I feel like just can diffuse negative in a lot of situations. We hope you're enjoying this special mini series so far.
0: Join us for our next episode where a panel of residents, fellows, and junior faculty at OSU discuss career transitions into residency and beyond. Subscribe to hear the rest on Apple Podcasts or visit us at wiserpodcast.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at wiserpodcast, and we'll see you soon for the next
3: episode.